I'm Katie Massad, and this is Flute Unscripted, candid conversations with musicians, makers, and masters. I sit down with a new artist every week and share their uncensored stories with you. You're listening to Season 1, brought to you by Flute Center of New York, the exclusive marketplace for flutes. Join us and subscribe. And please stay tuned to the end of the episode for a special Flute Center of New York code for our podcast listeners. By following her curiosity and intuition, Emmy Ferguson has made a name for herself as a modern flutist, Baroque flutist, composer, arranger, producer, researcher, and vocalist. In her interview with me, Ms. Ferguson shares that she refuses to take no for an answer and will do whatever it takes to see a project through to the end. That approach has served her well. Her impressive career includes winning first prize at the NFA Young Artist Competition, New York Flute Club Young Artist Competition, the Mid-Atlantic Flute Competition, and the Juilliard Concerto Competition. Emmy is passionate about new music and is a member of the American Modern Opera Company and New York New Music Ensemble. She is also a frequent guest artist with period ensembles, including Tafel Music, the American Classical Orchestra, and Trinity Baroque Orchestra. Her September 11th memorial performance alongside Yo-Yo Ma, Paul Simon, and James Taylor is a permanent fixture at the 9-11 Museum, and she has given her own lectures and performances on TEDx. Emmy Ferguson has carved out a niche for herself, playing the silver flute, historical flutes, and auxiliary flutes, performing repertoire that stretches from the Renaissance to today. Emmy, thank you so much for taking the time and talking with me today and coming to the Flute Center of New York. Oh, it's my pleasure. I and mean, coming here is always like the biggest uh, disaster because I see all these flutes and want every single you one. You have a collection, them. don't you? I do. I do, but you know, you always you always want more. You have you have a base? You have an I don't alto- have oh, a base. And and I've been I've been holding off on it and and just a couple weeks ago I sort of thought I think I'm gonna have to bite the bullet and and go all in mm-hmm. so yeah no that's that's the one that's the one that I'm thinking about for, now yeah. itching for <laughs> worrying about you know all the good things yeah <laughs> so what do you have alto uh regular sea flute sea piccolo flute. alto um and then a whole wide variety of um early flutes mm-hmm. and then a lot of a lot of world flutes as well yeah. so it's it's become quite quite a collection <laughs> uh well new york is your home you've been here you've built your career here but you were born in japan yes right you um, grew up in the uk yes then boston and then finally new york so you've been all over what's that been like growing up as a musician did you were you introduced to music at a very early age and kind of traveled with music throughout your journey or did you pick it up in the states I was really lucky in that my parents uh, introduced me to music at a very young age. Neither of them are musicians, and I think they'd always wanted to have music in their lives. And um, so when I was very little, they took me to a lot of children's music classes, and one thing led to another. Um, And I started recorder when I was three, and then piano when I was four. And while I really enjoyed doing both of those, neither of them quite stuck mm-hmm. permanently um, but when I was six I remember talking 
to my parents and I said, I, I want to play the flute. I don't remember why I wanted to, but they were amazing. They're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So, uh, so we were living in London at the time and we went to uh, the London equivalent of the flute center in New York <laughs> and we got my first flute and I remember I came home and I opened it upside down and it all fell oh, out wow. on the floor and it was a classic very beginner's mistake. <laughs> yes, classic <laughs> beginner's mistake. Um, but, you know, two days later, I remember we went to a concert of um, Sir James and Lady Jeannie Galway which was happening at the Barbican Center in London. And I brought them the flute and they said, can you teach me how to open the case? So <laughs> I feel very good that they've taught me, you know, how to open it properly. You, you, know. you learn from the best how to open the Seriously. case. Seriously. Yeah. So you grew up in Boston? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we moved to the States, I moved to Boston, which was amazing as a flute player yeah. because you have, you know, so many wonderful resources both um, from an educational standpoint, but also being so close to so many great makers. Mm -hmm. And then you got accepted to Juilliard? I did, I did, and and, uh, moved to New York for my undergrad and have been here since then, Mm -hmm. which is insane. Was that always a dream of yours to go to Juilliard? I mean, it is every every musician's pinnacle. Um, Was this a track, something you had your eye on for a really long time, or...? No, um, which is kind of funny to say since I've now, that's been my home for so long. You teach there now. I teach there now, so um, it it really has become such an important part of my life. But I went to a high school in Boston that had almost no music program. It was 100% academia focused. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of going to a conservatory was never one that was really given to me um, from you know, from my school. And playing the flute was just something I did on the side Mm. and that I really enjoyed. But um, as I got closer to the senior year, um, I thought it would be, I I would love to get to spend more time doing music in a way that I had never been able to before. So I looked at a lot of different places for college. And I think I think I applied to 15 places. Wow. Which was insane. <laughs> That's a grueling uh, audition season. Yeah, sure. but it was it was amazing because I got to travel around the country mm-hmm. and visit so many places that I had never been before and really see and get to meet so many flute players. And yeah. that was that was great from, you know, this almost very shielded um, atmosphere of not not knowing what was out there and I think that was also part of my um, thinking I didn't know what I wanted mm-hmm. and I didn't know what was possible for me because I'd come from a very academia focused um, track. And so I, you know, auditioned at all these places and, and fell in love with, with many different schools and, and ended up here at Juilliard um, and never looked back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which has been great. And, and it's, it's, one of those places that I didn't realize would become such an incredible home for me. Yeah, well, I'm. that's a great experience to have at Juilliard. There are some people that feel like conservatories um, might not prepare them always for real, real world experiences. And you've kind of branched out and you've done a lot on your own and kind of, you know, taken the wheel. Do you feel like that was in part to your conservatory um, education? Or do you feel like that was just a part of you being kind of entrepreneurial and taking things out on your own? 
I think it's a combination for sure. Um, I feel lucky that my all my education and my family upbringing, uh, you know, before I got to Juilliard, all, there was never a question. I was like, you can do it was the, the attitude. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot because, you know, today is like International Women's Day. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, thinking about how lucky I was that nobody ever told me that I couldn't do something mm-hmm. um, and how that has been had such a profound effect on me in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, and so really when I got to Juilliard, I wanted to try everything that was available from that school, um, everything that, that I could possibly do. I wanted to play in every ensemble, try every different kind of music that um, they offered. And as a result, I ended up getting my fingers into lots of different niches within you know, the classical music world, mm-hmm. which has been so fruitful and so rewarding for me. And I was lucky that the school did encourage that um, for me and, and gave me the pathways and the opportunities to do that in a way that um, I hadn't expected. Because as, as you did mention, people often think of it as a very straight track school yeah. where you go in and, and you come out and you, you don't you don't have any tangible skills. But mm-hmm. I felt lucky that I was able to combine um, both sides of things while I was there. And then when you were, you're talking about dipping your toes into other areas of interest. Is that why you went into a master's in Baroque flute? That's a little bit of a, a switch up from traditional. Yeah, pathway. I was really lucky that while I was doing my undergrad at Juilliard, they um, were sort of dipping their toes in the water of, of considering starting a historical performance mm-hmm. degree. And so they held auditions. And I think we got like two days notice. It was it's, It said... <laughs> Auditions for a spring week-long masterclass at Juilliard with William Christie and members of Les Affroissons. Um, if you're interested in learning about Baroque music and maybe playing original instruments, come to this room at this time and play a movement of Bach. <laughs> and I happened to be free during yeah. that hour. Um, and I had, um, I had a box sonata ready to go and so I, I said okay fine I'll show up and who knows what this is yeah. but I, again I was sort of on, in the mentality of let me try everything that's mm-hmm. available to me so I, I showed up and I played for um, Bill Christie and and, and the musicians of Les Affroissons and was really lucky that they asked me to do this you know week-long focused intensive which ended up being the pilot program for the historical performance program. So the school bought um, two Baroque flutes and gave them to me and uh, Rose Lombardo, who's now principal flute at San Diego Mm -hmm. Symphony. And and, um, they said, figure out how to play these. (laughs) And the two of us were kind of like, oh goodness, this thing has no keys. We sound awful on it. Completely different fingering. How are we going to make this work? And and, uh, the school set us up with Skype lessons with Stephen Schultz, who's an amazing Baroque flute player and and teaches at Carnegie Mellon. And this was back in the days when Skype lessons really didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But even those, you know, small interactions with him gave us this foundation to continue. I think for so many modern flute players, you when you start with a traverso, 
it's so humbling. It's like going back and learning a new instrument. Yeah. And if you've already achieved, a, you know, a certain level of, of skill on the modern flute, the last thing you want is to go and feel, you know, total like beginner. a total beginner again. again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think for me, it was one of those things that the more you did it over time. Okay, I Maybe understand. Maybe makes you appreciative of uh, your advancements as well. On, I, yes, on the yeah, flute. yeah, yeah, totally. So it's um, it was great. We we figured out very basically how to play these instruments, and they did this pilot program for two years, and then uh, the following year they held auditions for Juilliard's now you know historical mm-hmm. performance program. And at the time I was in my undergrad, and. I was in the five-year accelerated degree program, which they have there, where they offer students who are um, at a certain academic level as well as performance level to combine their undergrad and master's degrees into five years instead of six. Mm -hmm. And I thought, great, that'll save me some money. That'll save me some time. I'll get out of here. Um, So I was in that track. However, at the end of my fourth year of my five combined they you know asked me to join the first year of the historical performance master's degree and part of me thought well why would I want to extend my time in school but um what was amazing and what ultimately persuaded me was that there was nowhere that I was going to get this opportunity Mm -hmm. um to to learn the Traverso, to learn Baroque flute with such an incredible faculty and be surrounded by amazing peers while also being able to continue all of my modern flute Mm -hmm. pursuits that I had at the school already. So I felt incredibly lucky that I could do this new program and also continue to play in all the modern ensembles that that I wanted to. Equipped with knowledge and experience from her studies of classical, modern, and Baroque flute at Juilliard, Emmy fused together her interest in a new project, her debut album. Entitled Amour Cruel, the CD is an indie pop song cycle inspired by the music of the 17th century French Cure. It was released by Arezzo Music in September 2017, spending four weeks on the classical, classical crossover, and world music billboard charts. Looking back, Emmy admits that it was scary branching out on her own and that she had to work hard to gain respect and, most importantly, trust herself. This sounds like you're, you've kind of followed your curiosity, your interests, um, and you've kind of let it lead you on wherever it may, on your brave new path, <laughs> I guess you could call it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Did you ever have hesitations kind of thinking about, you know, should I have gone a more traditional route at the time? I mean, now... Obviously, there's there's hindsight, but at the time, were you a little hesitant about going into this master's and then, you know, what afterwards? I was absolutely worried about it because at the time, because the program was brand new at Juilliard, um, there were a lot of people who, who thought I was making the wrong decision. Um, they thought that I was abandoning modern flute altogether, mm-hmm. which is crazy. <laughs> um, but and and I got a lot of people who thought like, oh, you know, you must not be good anymore. Yeah. Which is the worst, the yeah. worst thing. There's a stigma, and I think, there's a, around that. There yeah. is a stigma, and I think it's it's quickly now uh, being erased mm-hmm. because people are seeing 
the kinds of, of performances and, and artists who are working in, in that field. Um, and I, I was lucky that I, because I was continued to do modern flute stuff, I, I was able to avoid a little bit of that stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to work hard to, for, you know, to prove to people that not only was I taking a risk and doing something that's a little bit untraditional for your your average um, Juilliard flute student, but that you can do both and you can do both well and we can elevate both art forms mm-hmm. um, by having a dialogue between the two. Yeah, which I think you do in your album that you've released recently, oh, right? <laughs> yeah. A more cruel. <laughs> yeah, which was a kind of a blend of everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been inspired by so many different kinds of music and when I was in high school, I actually did a lot more jazz and wanted to completely go into jazz for college and then mm. realized at the time that there weren't very many opportunities for that <laughs> as, as a flute player. And, and um, so, yeah, no, I ended up at Juilliard, ended up doing a ton of contemporary music, a ton of Baroque music, but also loving um, pop music. Yeah. And, and all different genres of pop music, which... I think is more common amongst you know all so of, of we classical musicians than little people secret that no exactly. one wants to talk about. Um, and I, I mean, I you don't just it. listen to Bach on your free time when you're I mean, you know sometimes. when you go home. <laughs> no, I mean doing the dishes, hanging out. Yes, yeah. it's okay to listen to pop music on the it's radio. Great. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean there's there's a time and place for everything, yeah. and and it's it it's all great. So mm-hmm. yeah. So Amor Cruel was kind of this. A mixture of all those different loves in music that I have and the album is uh, an 11 song cycle um, based on texts and and fragments of music that were um, largely being created in the court of Louis XIV and his contemporaries, other courts in mm-hmm. France at the time. And this is all music that I was actually introduced to by Bill Christie um, in that first week-long seminar that they had, like way back before everything had started with the historical performance program at Juilliard, which is kind of fun to think about. Yeah. Some of the first music that I encountered on the Baroque flute has now become stuck such with an, you. Yeah. Yeah, stuck with me as such an important part of my identity now. <laughs> um, but they're called air de cour or courtly airs. And I had, I've been in love with this music for a really long time. It's kind of a niche of a niche of a niche when you're thinking about classical music, Baroque music, period practice, <laughs> Baroque music, French, French Baroque music, yeah. and then even smaller within that, these, these air de cour. And um, they were, they're largely songs, um, often written for voice and lute. But it was at this time, sort of in the 1680s, when the flute had gone through this major overhaul by instrument makers in the court of Louis XIV. And it went, you know, from being a one-piece instrument to being a two or three-piece instrument um, from a from a conical uh, from a cylindrical bore back you know now to a to a conical mm-hmm. bore um, all these small changes happened that allowed the flute 
to become this very, very trendy instrument because it had this beautiful, sweet tone that the recorder was a little bit brighter. Um, we were able to get dynamics, you know, the softest dynamics and relatively loud dynamics, mm -hmm. which again, the recorder or oboe couldn't get in the same way. So it became so trendy and started getting used in these songs. Um, have you ever I, overcome your nerves singing in public? Yeah, yeah, now I do it all the time, yeah. which, you know, is amazing. But it was one of those things that when I first started writing these songs, I was sitting at home doing it all myself and I was making these demos. And it was easier for me to sing them than to hire someone to come in, train them how yeah. to do the French, train them the style that I'm looking for. Um, and then as I really slowly started to show people some of them they said well why wouldn't you do these and i thought for so long i've been told i'm a flute player right but wait a second i i can still you know it was like i can still play the modern flute and do baroque mm -hmm. flute i can still play all the flutes mm -hmm. and sing because what is the flute other than kind of a an extension a of your voice singing. as well yeah exactly and um, do you think it's helped your flute playing a little bit oh, too? Oh, entirely. Yeah. yeah, I think the two have really helped each other um, and, and informed each other in a great way. Um, do you have any vocal warm-ups that are easy I'm, enough to share with You know, I'm with bad people. in that because I really haven't had like any vocal training um, sort of on the on the physical standpoint, mm -hmm. I don't. And and my my way of doing it so far has kind of been like, Fingers crossed. Hope, hope it all comes out. But I think I think as flute players, we understand how to support a sound. Right. We understand how the airstream works, mm -hmm. um, and we're really in tune with that side of our body because we've been thinking about it for years. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the work that I think first-time singers have to go through, we've done. Um, does that mean that I? don't need a whole ton more work no I, I, and it's something that I'm, I'm really trying to trying to um, learn about now is trying to make sure that when I'm singing I'm not hurting myself right again I think it's something that we understand intrinsically as, mm -hmm. as flute players because we know when we're pushing ourselves we know how to keep things open mm -hmm. um, and and how to manipulate sound from inside our body yeah. um, but it is something that I'm, I'm I'm trying to investigate more now as I am singing more and more and doing um, doing these these performances that I didn't think you know when I started at Juilliard I didn't think I'd be doing this right. and 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 I love it and I've been so overwhelmed by how the classical community has embraced this project and embraced me doing this mm -hmm. and not pigeonholed me in one place or another you know like with Baroque flute I'm able to keep my modern and, and, and keep both things strong mm -hmm. and now it seems like it's just adding another spoke to the wheel um, of things that I love to do and I think the climate today certainly in New York um, in the classical music world is that that's great yeah you know we, we see so many incredible musicians out there who are doing a wide variety of things and I'm continually inspired by just walking out my front door and saying that. <laughs> and do you feel like you're kind of breaking down certain stereotypes of classical music as well, especially in your performances and your music live performances? I mean, you, you choose unconventional venues, um, pubs, small, intimate spaces. 
your music is blending together different styles, um, you're singing and playing the flute. Do you think it's, you know, you're moving classical music in a path that you want to see where there's this intimate relationship between listener and performer um, instead of what we're used to, which is a huge concert hall, one person on the stage, masses of audience members being quiet, sitting there listening. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope I am. And it's amazing to think about how today, I think the way that people interact with music is more personal in some levels than it has ever been. You get to curate your playlist. You yeah. you know, you have everything you want on demand inside your ears. That's amazing. But also, it's like that double-edged sword. It's the most personal it's been and it's the most unpersonal it's mm -hmm. ever been because you don't need that physical interaction with the with the player anymore. It takes away the other aspects of, of music as well. There's a, right. a live component. And yes. it's not just about listening. Yes. It's about being in the space and watching and, and participating. Right. And so for me, it's been fun to have created this, this album version, this recorded version of these songs and now to get to explore them and do them differently. Each time I mm -hmm. do them live, it's a completely different instrumentation or a different feel, different venues. Um, and it's been really exciting to see how people who might not normally listen to French Baroque flute music, yeah. um, have, you know, so I got into this because it reminded me of, of something I heard on the radio, but now I'm like loving Rameau. That's like, awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. I love remote too. And it sounds like a bumper yeah. sticker. <laughs> no, seriously. And there's like totally a place for remote to live next to Taylor Swift. Yeah. And and for for them to mm -hmm. to both feed different parts of your musical life as a yeah. listener. Um, and what's also been great is that because we're largely playing these songs on unconventional instruments or instruments that people haven't seen, the band on the album is. Baroque flutes, uh, theorbo, uh, classical guitar, viola da gamba, and, and bass, and, and percussion. And so they're seeing instruments that they've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's so that's such a great way to get people engaged, to, you know, hear these sounds that they, that they really have kind of a very deep um, reaction to, and then want to get to know more about the music. And as a result, classical music as a whole mm -hmm. so that's, that's been great. that's been really fulfilling and awesome well we're all out of time thank you so much thank for you. chatting and taking the time to sit down my pleasure you can check out all of emmy's upcoming performances videos and links to her new album on her interactive website emmyferguson.com while I'm not sure if our I Love Rameau bumper sticker idea will take hold, I am sure she will continue to engage audiences with her unique performances. Thank you to Emmy Ferguson for providing songs from her album Amour Cruel. This has been an episode of Flute Unscripted. This podcast is sponsored by the Flute Center of New York. 
visit their website at flutesforsale.com for the largest selection of new and pre-owned instruments. Use this season's promo code LISTEN for a special deal of $50 off any purchase of $4.99 or more. You can follow the Flute Center on Instagram and like them on Facebook to stay up to date on the latest events and masterclasses. Special thanks to our owner Phil Unger, the Flute Center team, and Stefan Huskoldson for our theme music.